Welcome to the Bookshelf. I'm Doug Nadvornik. In The Sun Also Rises, Ernest Hemingway's first major novel, he writes about a group of American and British expatriates living in post-World War I Paris. Many of them are writers. They hang out in cafes together. They travel together. And Hemingway writes about their exploits in a novel full of dialogue. It gives you a feel for a life in one of the world's most vibrant cities in the 1920s. It's the novel that got the world paying attention to Hemingway. And at the beginning of 2022, the book went into public domain. So we decided to take advantage of that. The teller of this story is American writer Jake Barnes. Other major characters are fellow writers Bill Gorton and Robert Cohn. Cohn, in particular, is pining for Barnes' former lover, British aristocrat Lady Brett Ashley. We join the story now with Barnes, Gorton, and Lady Ashley heading out onto the town in Paris. The Sun Also Rises is nearly a hundred years old. We've done a bit of editing to remove some of the words and phrases of the time that are no longer socially acceptable. Let's resume our reading on the bookshelf from Spokane Public Radio. A taxi passed. Someone in it waved and then banged for the driver to stop. The taxi backed up to the curb. Brett was in it. Beautiful lady, said Bill. Gonna kidnap us. Hello, said Brett. Hello. This is Bill Gorton, I said. Lady Ashley. Brett smiled at Bill. I say, I'm just back. Haven't bathed even. Michael comes in tonight. Good. Come on and eat with us, I said. We'll all go to meet him. I must clean myself, she said. Oh, rot. Come on. Must bathe. He doesn't get in till nine. Come and have a drink, then, before you bathe. I might do that. Now you're not talking rot. We got in the taxi, and the driver looked around. Stop at the nearest bistro, I said. We might as well go to the Closerie, said Brett. I can't drink these rotten brandies. Closerie de Lillis. Brett turned to Bill. Have you been in this pestilential city long? Just got in today from Budapest. How was Budapest, she said. Wonderful. Budapest was wonderful. Ask him about Vienna, I said. Vienna, said Bill, is a strange city. Very much like Paris. Brett smiled at him and wrinkled the corners of her eyes. Exactly, Bill said. Very much like Paris at this moment. You have a good start. Sitting out on the terrace of the Lelis, Brett ordered a whiskey and soda. So did I, and Bill took another Pernod. How are you, Jake? she asked. Great, I said. I've had a good time. She looked at me. I was a fool to go away. One's an ass to leave Paris. Did you have a good time, I asked. Oh, all right. Interesting. Not frightfully amusing. Did you see anybody? No, hardly anybody. I never went out. Didn't you swim, I asked. No, didn't do a thing. Sounds like Vienna, said Bill. Brett wrinkled up the corners of her eyes again at him. So that's the way it was in Vienna. It was like everything in Vienna. Brett smiled at him again. You've a nice friend, Jake. He's all right, I said. He's a taxidermist. That was in another country, said Bill, and besides, all the animals were dead. One more, said Brett, and I must run. Do send the waiter for a taxi. There's a line of them, right out in front. Good. We had the last drink, and Brett went into her taxi. Mind you, we're at the select around ten. Make him come. Michael will be there. We'll be there, said Bill. The taxi started, and Brett waved. Quite a girl, said Bill. She's damn nice. Who's Michael? The man she's going to marry, I said. Well, well. That's always just the stage I meet anybody. What'll I send them? Think they'll like a couple of stuffed racehorses? We better eat, I said. Is she really lady something or other? Bill asked in the taxi on our way down to the Ile St. Louis. Yes, she's in the stud book and everything. Well, well.
We ate dinner at Madame Lecomte's restaurant on the far side of the island. It was crowded with Americans, and we had to stand up and wait for a place. Someone had put it in the American's women's club list as a quaint restaurant in somebody's travel guide, as yet untouched by Americans, and so we had to wait 45 minutes for a table. Bill had eaten at the restaurant in 1918 and right after the armistice, and Madame Lecomte made a great fuss over seeing him. Doesn't get us a table, though, said Bill. Grand woman, though. We had a good meal, a roast chicken, new green beans, mashed potatoes, a salad, some apple pie, and cheese. After the coffee and another drink, we got the bill, chalked up the same as ever on a slate that was doubtless one of the quaint features of this restaurant. We paid the bill, shook hands, and went out. You never come here any more, Monsieur Barnes, said Madame Lecomte. Too many compatriots, I said. Come at lunchtime. It's not crowded then. Good. I'll be down soon. We walked along under the trees that grew out over the river on this side of the island. Across the river were the broken walls of old houses that were being torn down. They're going to cut a street through, I said. They would, said Bill. We walked on and circled the island. The river was dark, and a batu mouche went by, all bright with lights, going fast and quiet, up and out of sight under the bridge. Down the river was Notre Dame, squatting against the night sky. We crossed along to the left bank of the Seine by the wooden footbridge, and stopped on the bridge and looked down the river at Notre Dame. Standing on the bridge, the island looked dark. The houses were high against the sky, and the trees were shadows. It's pretty grand, said Bill. God, I love to get back. We leaned on the wooden rail of the bridge and looked up the river to the lights of the big bridges. Below the water was smooth and black. It made no sound against the piles of the bridge. A man and a girl passed us. They were walking with their arms around each other. We crossed the bridge and walked up the hill. It was a steep walk and we went all the way to the top. The arc light shone through the leaves of the trees in the square and underneath the trees was an S-bus ready to start. Music came out of the door of the Negre Joyeux. Through the window of the Café des Amateurs, I saw the long zinc bar. Outside on the terrace, working people were drinking. In the open kitchen of the Amateurs, a girl was cooking potato chips in oil. There was an iron pot of stew. A girl ladled some onto a plate for an old man who stood holding a bottle of red wine in one hand. Want to have a drink, I asked. No, said Bill, I don't think I need it. We turned to the right and walked along smooth, narrow streets with high old houses on both sides. Some of the houses jutted out toward the street. Others were cut back. We came out onto another street and followed it along until it brought us to the rigid north and south of the Rue Saint-Jacques, and then we walked south past Val de Grace and set back against the courtyard and the iron fence to the Boulevard du Port-Royal. "'What do you want to do?' I asked. "'Go up to the café and see Brett and Mike?' Why not, he said. We walked along Port Royal until it became Mount Parnasse, and then on past the Lilas, Levines, and all the little cafes, Damois, and crossed the street to the Rotonde, past its lights and tables to the Select. Michael came toward us from the tables. He was tanned and healthy-looking. Hello, Jake, he said. Hello, hello. How are you, old lad? You look very fit, Mike, I said. Oh, I am. I'm frightfully fit. I've done nothing but walk. Walk all day long. One drink a day with my mother at tea. Bill had gone into the bar. He was standing talking with Brett. She was sitting on a high stool, her legs crossed. She had no stockings on. Good to see you, Jake, said Michael. I'm a little tight, you know. 
Amazing, isn't it? Did you see my nose? There was a patch of dried blood on the bridge of his nose. An old lady's bags did that, Mike said. I reached up to help her with them, and they fell on me. Brett gestured at him from the bar with her cigarette holder and wrinkled the corners of her eyes. An old lady, said Mike. Her bags fell on me. Let's go in and see Brett. I say, she is a piece. You are a lovely lady, Brett. Where did you get that hat? Chap bought it for me. Don't you like it? It's a dreadful hat. Do get a good hat, said Mike. Oh, we've so much money now, said Brett. I say, haven't you met Bill yet? You are a lovely host, Jake. She turned to Mike. This is Bill Gorton. This drunkard is Mike Campbell. Mr. Campbell is an undischarged bankrupt. Aren't I, though, he said. You know, I met my ex-partner yesterday in London, chap who did me in. What did he say? Bought me a drink. I thought I might as well take it. I say, Brett, he said, you are a lovely piece. Don't you think she's beautiful? Beautiful. With this nose? It's a lovely nose. Go on, point it at me. Isn't she a lovely piece? Couldn't we have kept the man in Scotland? I say, Brett, let's turn in early, Michael said. Don't be indecent, Michael. Remember, there are ladies at this bar. Isn't she a lovely piece? Don't you think so, Jake? There's a fight tonight, Bill said. Like to go? Fight, said Mike. Who's fighting? Ledoux and somebody. He's very good, Ledoux, Mike said. I'd like to see it, rather. He was making an effort to pull himself together, but I can't go. I had a date with this thing here. I say, Brett, do get a new hat. Brett pulled the felt hat far over one eye and smiled out from under it. You two run along to the fight. I'll have to be taking Mr. Campbell home directly. I say, Brett, you are a lovely piece. Go on to the fight, Brett said. Mr. Campbell's getting difficult. What are these outbursts of affection, Michael? I say, you are a lovely piece. We said good night. I'm sorry I can't go, said Mike. Brett laughed. I looked back from the door. Mike had one hand on the bar and was leaning toward Brett, talking. She was looking at him quite coolly, but the corners of her eyes were smiling. Outside on the pavement, I said, You want to go to the fight? Sure, said Bill, if we don't have to walk. Mike was pretty excited about his girlfriend, I said in the taxi. Well, said Bill, you can't blame him a hell of a lot. Before we move to the next chapter, let's remind you that you're listening to The Bookshelf from Spokane Public Radio, and the book we're enjoying is Ernest Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises. Chapter 9. The Ledoux-Kid Francis fight was the night of the 20th of June. It was a good fight. The morning after that fight, I had a letter from Robert Cohn. It was written from Hendai. He was having a very quiet time, he said, bathing, playing some golf, and much bridge. Hendai had a splendid beach, but he was anxious to start on the fishing trip. When would I be down? If I would buy him a double-tapered line, he would pay me when I come down. That same morning, I wrote Cone from the office that Bill and I would leave Paris on the 25th, unless I wired him otherwise, and would meet him at Bayonne, where we could get a bus over the mountains to Pamplona. The same evening, about 7 o'clock, I stopped in at the Select to see Michael and Brett. They weren't there, and I went over to the Dingo. They were inside there, sitting at the bar. Hello, darling, Brett put out her hand. Hello, Jake, Mike said. I understand I was tight last night. Weren't you, though, Brett said. Disgraceful business. 
Look, said Mike, when do you go down to Spain? Would you mind if we came down with you? It would be grand, I said. You wouldn't mind, really? I've been at Pamplona, you know. Brett's mad to go. You're sure we wouldn't just be a bloody nuisance? Don't talk like a fool, I said. You're sure you don't mind? Oh, shut up, Michael, said Brett. How can the man say he'd mind now? I'll ask him later. But you don't mind, do you? Don't ask that again unless you want to make me sore, I said. Bill and I go down on the morning of the 25th. By the way, where is Bill? asked Brett. He's out at Chantilly, dining with some people. He's a good chap. Splendid chap, says Mike. He is, you know. You don't remember him, Brett said. I do. Remember him perfectly. Look, Jake, we'll come down the night of the 25th. Brett can't get up in the morning. Indeed not, she said. If our money comes and you're sure you don't mind, I said. It'll come all right. I'll see to that, she said. Tell me what tackle to send for. Get two or three rods with reels and lines and some flies. I won't fish, Brett put in. Get two rods then and Bill won't have to buy one. Right, said Mike. I'll send a wire to the keeper. Won't it be splendid, Brett said. Spain, we will have some fun. The 25th, when is that? Saturday. We will have to get ready. I say, said Mike, I'm going to the barber's. I must bathe, said Brett. Walk up to the hotel with me, Jake. Be a good chap. We have got the loveliest hotel, said Mike. I think it's a brothel. We left our bags here at the dingo when we got in, she said, and they asked us at this hotel if we wanted a room for the afternoon only. Seems frightfully pleased that we were going to stay all night. I believe it's a brothel, said Mike, and I should know. Oh, shut it and go and get your hair cut, she said. We walked up the Rue de l'Ambre. Haven't seen you since I've been back, Brett said. No. How are you, Jake? I'm fine. Brett looked at me. I say, is Robert Cohn going on this trip? Yes. Why? Don't you think it will be a bit rough on him? Why should it? I asked. Who did you think I went down to San Sebastian with? Congratulations, I said. We walked along. What did you say that for? She asked. I don't know. What would you like me to say? We walked along and rounded a corner. He behaved rather well, too. He gets a little dull, does he? I rather thought it would be good for him. He might take up social service, I said. Don't be nasty, she said. I won't. Didn't you really know? No, I guess I didn't think about it. Do you think it'll be too rough on him? That's up to him, I said. Tell him you're coming. He can always not come. I'll write him and give him a chance to pull out of it. I didn't see Brett again until the night of the 24th of June. Did you hear from Cone? Rather, he's keen about it. My God. I thought it was rather odd myself, she said. Says he can't wait to see me. Does he think you're coming alone? No, I told him we were all coming down, Michael and all. They expected their money the next day, so we arranged to meet at Pamplona. They would go directly to San Sebastian and take the train from there. We would all meet at the Montoya in Pamplona. If they didn't turn up on Monday at the latest, we would go on ahead to the mountains to start fishing. I wrote out an itinerary so they could follow us. Bill and I took the morning train. It was a lovely day, not too hot, and the country was beautiful from the start. We went back into the diner and had breakfast. Leaving the dining car, I asked the conductor for tickets for the first service. Nothing until the fifth. What's this? There were never more than two servings of lunch on that train, and there's always plenty of places for both of them. Were they all reserved, said the dining car conductor. There will be a fifth service at 3.30. This is serious, I said to Bill. Give him ten francs. Here, I said, we want to eat in the first service. The conductor put the ten francs in his pocket. 
Thank you, he said. I would advise you gentlemen to get some sandwiches. All the places for the first four services were reserved at the office of the company. You'll go a long way, brother, Bill said to him in English. I suppose if I'd given you five francs, you would have advised us to jump off the train. Comment, he said. Go to hell, said Bill. Get the sandwiches made and a bottle of wine. And send it up to the next car, I described where we were. In our compartment were a man and his wife and their young son. I suppose you're Americans, aren't you, the man asked, having a good trip? Wonderful, said Bill. That's what you want to do. Travel while you're young, he said. Mother and I always wanted to get over, but we had to wait a while. You could have come over ten years ago if you'd wanted to, the wife said. What you always said was, see America first. I will say we've seen a good deal, take it one way or another. Say there's plenty of Americans on this train, the husband said. They've got seven cars of them from Dayton, Ohio. They've been on a pilgrimage to Rome, and now they're going down to Switzerland. So that's what they are, pilgrims, damn Puritans, said Bill. Say, what part of the state you boys from? Kansas City, I said. He's from Chicago. You're both going to Switzerland? No, we're going fishing in Spain. Well, I never cared for fishing myself, he said. There's plenty that do out where I come from, though. We got some of the best fishing in the state of Montana. I'd been out with the boys, but I never cared for it, Annie. Mighty little fishing you did on them trips, his wife said. He winked at us. You know how the ladies are. If there's a jug goes along or a case of beer, they think it's all hell and damnation. That's the way men are, his wife said to us. She smoothed her comfortable lap. I voted against prohibition to please him, and because I like a little beer in the house, and then he talks that way. It's a wonder they ever find anyone to marry them. Say, said Bill, you know that gang of pilgrim fathers that cornered the dining car until half past three this afternoon? How do you mean, he said. They can't do a thing like that. You try and get seats. Well, mother, it looks like we better go back and get another breakfast. She stood up and straightened her dress. Will you boys keep an eye on her things, she asked. Come on, Hubert. They all three went up to the wagon restaurant. A little while after they were gone, a steward went through announcing the first service, and pilgrims with their priests commenced filing down the corridor. Our friend and his family did not come back. A waiter passed in the corridor with our sandwiches and the bottle of Chablis, and we called him in. "'You're going to work today,' I said. He nodded his head. "'They start now, at ten-thirty. He left two glasses for the bottle, and we paid him for the sandwiches and tipped him. "'I'll get the plates,' he said, "'or bring them with you.' We ate the sandwiches, drank the Chablis, and watched the country out the window. The grain was just beginning to ripen, and the fields were full of poppies. The pasture land was green, and there were fine trees, and sometimes big rivers and chateaux off in the trees. At Tours we got off and bought another bottle of wine, and when we got back in the compartment, the gentleman from Montana and his wife and his son Hubert were sitting comfortably. "'Is there good swimming in Switzerland?' asked Hubert. "'That boy's just crazy until he can get in the water,' said his mother. "'It's pretty hard on youngsters traveling. "'There's good swimming,' I said, "'but it's dangerous when it's rough.' "'Did you get a meal?' Bill asked. "'We sure did. "'We sat right there when they started to come in, "'and they must have just thought we were in the party. "'One of the waiters said something to us in French, "'and then they just sent it three of them back. "'They thought we were snappers, all right,' said the man. "'It certainly shows you the power of the Catholic Church. "'It's a pity you boys ain't Catholics. "'You could get a meal then, all right.' "'Finally, at a quarter past four, we had lunch.' Bill had been rather difficult at the last. He buttonholed a priest who was coming back with one of the returning streams of pilgrims. When do us Protestants get a chance to eat, Father? 
I don't know anything about it, he said. Haven't you got tickets? It's enough to make a man join the clan, said Bill. The priest looked back at him. Inside the dining car, the waiters served the fifth consecutive lunch. The waiter who served us was soaked through. His white jacket was purple under the arms. He must drink a lot of wine or wear purple undershirts. Let's ask him. No, he's too tired. The train stopped for a half an hour at Bordeaux, and we went out through the station for a little walk. There wasn't time to get into the town. Afterwards, we passed through the lands and watched the sun set. There were wide fire gaps cut through the pines. You could look through them like avenues and see wooded hills way off. About 7.30, we had dinner and watched the country through the open window in the diner. It was all sandy pine country full of heather. There were little clearings with houses in them. Once in a while, we passed a sawmill. It got dark, and we could feel the country hot and sandy and dark outside the window. At about nine o'clock, we got into Bayonne. The man and his wife and Hubert, the son, all shook hands with us. They were going on to Lennegress to change for Switzerland. Well, I hope you have lots of luck, he said. Be careful about those bullfights. Maybe we'll see you in Switzerland, Hubert said. We got off with our bags and rod cases and passed through the dark station and out to the lights and the line of cabs and hotel buses. There, standing with the hotel runners, was Robert Cohn. He didn't see us at first, and then he started forward. Hello, Jake. Have a good trip, he asked. Fine, I said. This is Bill Gorton. How are you? Come on, said Robert. I've got a cab. He was a little nearsighted. I'd never noticed it before. He was looking at Bill, trying to make him out. He was shy, too. We'll go up to my hotel. It's all right. It's quite nice, he said. We got into the cab, and the cabman put his bags up on the seat beside him and climbed up and cracked his whip, and we drove over the dark bridge and into the town. Awfully glad to meet you, Robert said to Bill. I've heard so much about you from Jake, and I've read your books. Did you get my line, Jake? The cab stopped in front of the hotel, and we all got out and went in. It was a nice hotel, and the people at the desk were cheerful, and we each had a good small room. The Sun Also Rises, Chapter 10 In the morning it was bright, and they were sprinkling the streets of the town, and we all had breakfast in a cafe. Bayonne is a nice town. It's a very clean Spanish town, and it's on a big river. Already so early in the morning, it was very hot on the bridge across the river. We walked out on that bridge and then took a walk through the town. I was not at all sure that Mike's rods would come from Scotland in time, so we hunted a tackle store and finally bought a rod for Bill upstairs over a dry goods store. The man who sold the tackle was out, and we had to wait for him to come back. Finally he came in, and we bought a pretty good rod cheap and two landing nets. We went out into the street again and took a look at the cathedral. Cone made some remark about it being a very good example of something or other, I forget what. It seemed like a nice cathedral, nice and dim, like Spanish churches. And then we went up past the old fort and out to the local syndicate of initiative office, where the bus was supposed to start from. There they told us the bus service did not start until the 1st of July. This was still June. We found out at the tourist office what we ought to pay for a motor car to Pamplona, and we hired one at a big garage just around the corner from the municipal theater for 400 francs. The car was to pick us up at the hotel in 40 minutes, and we stopped at the cafe on the square where we'd eaten breakfast. We had a beer. 
It was hot, but the town had a cool, fresh, early morning smell, and it was pleasant sitting in the cafe. A breeze started to blow, and you could feel that the air came from the sea. There were pigeons in the square, and the houses were a yellow, sun-baked color, and I didn't want to leave the cafe. But we had to go to our hotel to get our bags packed and to pay the bill. We paid for the beers and went up to the hotel. It was only 16 francs apiece for Bill and me, with 10% added for the service. We had the bags sent down, and we waited for Robert Cohn. While we waited, I saw a cockroach on the parquet floor that must have been at least three inches long. I pointed him out to Bill and then put my shoe on him. We agreed. He must have just come in from the garden. It really was an awfully clean hotel. Cone came down, finally, and we all went out to the car. It was a big closed car with a driver in a white duster with blue collar and cuffs. We had him put the back of the car down. He piled in the bags, and we started off up the street and out of town. We passed some lovely gardens and had a good look back at the town, and then we were out in the country. It was green and rolling and the road climbing all the time. We passed lots of basques with oxen, or cattle, hauling carts along the road, and nice farmhouses, low roofs, and all white plastered. In the Basque country, the land all looks very rich and green, and the houses and villages look well off and clean. Every village had a pelota court, and on some of them kids were playing in the hot sun. There were signs on the walls of the churches saying it was forbidden to play pelota against them, and the houses in the villages had red-tiled roofs. And then the road turned off and commenced to climb, and we were going way up close along a hillside, with a valley below and hills stretched off back toward the sea. You couldn't see the sea. It was too far away. You could only see hills and more hills, and you knew where the sea was. We crossed the Spanish frontier. There was a little stream and a bridge, and Spanish soldiers with patent leather Bonaparte hats, short guns on their backs on one side, and on the other fat Frenchmen with mustaches. They only opened one bag and took the passports in and looked at them. There was a general store and inn on each side of the line. The chauffeur had to go in and fill out some papers about the car. We got out and went over to the stream to see if there were any trout. Bill tried to talk some Spanish to one of the soldiers, but it didn't go very well. Robert Cohn asked, pointing with his finger, if there were any trout in the stream, and the soldier said yes, but not many. I asked him if he ever fished, and he said no, he didn't care for it. Just then, an old man with long, sunburned hair and beard and clothes that looked as if they were made of gunny sacks came striding up to the bridge. He was carrying a long staff. He had a kid slung on his back, tied by the four legs, the head hanging down. The soldier waved him back with his sword. The man turned without saying anything and started back up the white road into Spain. What's the matter with the old one, I asked. He hasn't got any passport. I offered the guard a cigarette. He took it and thanked me. What will he do, I asked. The guard spat in the dust. Oh, he'll just wade across the stream. Do you have much smuggling? Oh, they do go through. The chauffeur came out, folding up the papers and put them in the inside pocket of his coat. We all got in the car and it started up into the white, dusty road into Spain. It's time now to close. We've been reading Ernest Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises, published in 1926 by Scribner's. We'll continue next time. The bookshelf is produced by Vern Windham for Spokane Public Radio. I'm Doug Nadvornik. Thank you for spending time with us.